welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and today we welcome back to the show Jake Eagle, a psychotherapist of 25 years who now describes himself as a metatherapist or someone who helps people discover what's beyond therapy. Welcome. Thank you, Jake, for being on the show. Thanks, Tom, for the introduction. Um, Jake, we talked to you earlier last week on the podcast, and he is a mental health therapist who did psychotherapy for um, over 20 years in in, uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he ran across a process through a John Weir and his wife were really just trying to create a different level of consciousness. And we talked about his work in the last podcast. He has a website, which is liveconscious.com. Is that correct, Jake? Yes, that's right. So, Jake, could you just briefly, in, in a couple of sentences, reintroduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, I'm happy to. So, um, I, yeah, I was in uh, private practice in Santa Fe for about 25 years. And halfway into that time, uh, my wife and I met the Weirs. And their model was basically a linguistic model, helping people change the way they use language so that they have a different experience of themselves. They connect better with themselves. They're less reactive to other people and they feel empowered. That, that was really the focus of my practice back there. So, oh, great. So we talked about the last podcast about honestly, language makes a difference. We discussed how language actually changes your brain structure that language and concepts get programmed into our brain the same way our chair or table does. Can you talk about how change of language changes consciousness for the first step being aware of the impact of language and then second of all, the tools to change it. And what I'm curious about on this section of the podcast is what are some of the specific tools that you utilize to help create this shift? So for most of my career, I was working with people at a level of consciousness, which is, I believe, where really almost all therapy takes place. And I refer to it as safety consciousness. Our entire orientation is to help people feel safe and secure, to manage their lives well. And it includes a lot of valuable things, taking responsibility for ourselves, making good agreements, creating clear boundaries, holding people accountable, all great stuff. And I know that you and I share this idea that central to dealing with any kind of pain, we have to create a sense of safety. We have to move away from threat because it activates our nervous system in such a way that exacerbates the pain, whether it's physical or emotional. And so we agree that that moving towards safety is key. The, the, the work that I've done in the last three years, and, and I'll give you a short story on how this developed, is helping people go to a different level of consciousness where they stop thinking about safety at all. And the, what, what I've done is I've created a model that says that there are three levels of consciousness. And you, you know that's not true, but it's a model. And the fact that it's a model, it gives people something to hold on to. And what I've done is I said, the first level is safety. And you and I've talked about that. You have developed a lot of tools to help people create a greater sense of safety in their lives. I've done something similar, but I'm suggesting that at a certain point, we need to go to what I refer to as heart consciousness. And heart consciousness is really nothing more than living in a state of gratitude and appreciation. 
But when we shift into a state of gratitude or appreciation, many of the things that we perceived as problems are no longer problems. Many of the things that we thought of as threatening are no longer threatening. Now, I think it's obvious, but I'll say it. If a tiger jumps out of the woods, that's of course threatening no matter what state of consciousness I'm in. But most of the threats we experience are not threats to our physical being. They are threats to our identity. They're threats to my idea of who I am. My idea of who I am is being challenged. And that's what I'm reacting to much of the time when my focus is how to make myself feel safe. So if we right. can get people to shift to heart consciousness, it completely alters their physiology. It, it alters their perceptual filters. And I don't know if this is true. I'd like to get your opinion, but um, Steve Poor just came up with the idea of neuroception, which is how we respond to things that are outside of our awareness. And I think when we're in a state of heart consciousness, I even think it alters our neuroception that we simply experience the world in a different way. And you know, if, you, if you think about a time in your life where you were just incredibly grateful, think about a moment, a day, a time where you just felt such deep appreciation either for yourself or other people or, or being alive or having gotten through something. In that state, that's a state of heart consciousness. Right. Do you think you experience everything differently, including at an unconscious level? Well, in my own journey, I mean, I went to David Byrne's seminar. He said a hundred times, just kill your ego, which means you start taking down this construct that I call David Hanscom, which is labels both positive and negative, And you just allow yourself to feel. And again, without reviewing in detail many tools, is that there are days where you just get to experience the day some of it's pleasant, some of it's unpleasant, but even happy versus sad is a label, good day, bad day is a label. Right. And as you open up and allow yourself to feel, then the labels start to disappear. I'm assuming that's what you're referring to. It's, it's a state where there's, there is no labeling because it's replaced with this experience of appreciation. So let's say something sad happens. I still can maintain a state of appreciation because I'm experiencing, I'm making myself sad is the way I would say it, because I'm alive, because right. maybe, maybe I lost somebody that I love, but it's still a beautiful part of the human journey. Right. And if course, I don't resist it. Right. And of course, the reality is you're at least here to experience a bad day, right? Yep. I mean, yep. one step beyond yep. is not being here to experience anything. So no, I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. Um, but and the, and, and the only thing I would the only thing I would comment on David is uh, the the David Burns comment kill the ego. Um, actually, I I don't use the word ego. I use the word identity because ego has such a bad rap these days. People right. think it's a problem, and it's not a problem. It's a necessity to have some sense of self. The problem arises when I hold on too tightly to my ideas about who I am. Right. It, it becomes your identity. Yeah. Right, and I, I, I want to, I want to, I need something to hold on to. The, the, my belief is the reason we have an identity is because it allows us to deal with existential anxiety, the anxiety right. about life being uncertain. 
So I need, right. I need something to give me my bearings. And that is what I call my identity. Right. I mean, what happened to me in the last seven years, you know, I'm, I'm creating a lot of change in medicine. I get attacked pretty viciously by lots of different people. And I had to go through a process. I 100% agree with every word you said is that whatever way I accomplished it, and again, some days better than others, where I just get to experience people attacking me, realizing it was their problem, not mine. And I wasn't having a suppressive reaction. I just wasn't reacting anymore, which actually drove them crazy, which wasn't my intention. Right. But they're attacking this construct that I that they consider David Hanscom, and I don't occupy that construct anymore. They're attacking an empty house. Right. So they just yeah. went sort of crazy trying to get a hold of me. And I would just, you know, and again, I'm not happy about being attacked. I wasn't trying to do it to aggravate them. But I just didn't react anymore. It just wasn't there. It was a very interesting process. So, no, I think your description is wonderful. And you, what you just described is so needed in our age of polarization, right? Right. If, if we could respond the way you just described, instead of taking it personally and becoming reactive, it would solve a lot of our problems. Right. Um, and you mentioned there's a third level of consciousness. Yes, uh, the third level of consciousness is what I refer to as spacious, spacious consciousness. And that is a contemplative state that we achieve through some form of practice, typically a, a meditation. But along with a, a colleague, we just completed a large scale study at UC Berkeley, where we took about 700 people through a, a three week course, and we taught them a very simple thing, which was how to access a state of awe how to access a state of awe. And when we access a state of awe, what we're doing is we are taking ourselves to a place that feels timeless and wordless. It, it, it's beyond our normal waking experience. And the way we teach people to do that is to give their full and undivided attention to something that they appreciate, value, or find amazing. And Fantastic. what we found, what we found is fascinating, which is if people do this multiple times a day and it takes five to 25 seconds, that, that's it. That's, that's all it is. Just take your attention, look around your office, find something that you just deeply appreciate or value, give it your undivided attention. And there is a little bit of a breathing pattern to it where you're, you're breathing in and then you're exhaling and the exhale is very important in terms of how, how it affects your nervous system. Just doing that shifts your physiology. And if you do it multiple times a day, in two small studies we did, we demonstrated the benefits are equal to a full meditation practice. Interesting. Now, that's why we went ahead and, and did a much larger scale study to see how this holds up. And, and by the way, 200 of those people were frontline medical professionals dealing with the COVID crisis. Right. And our goal was to see if we could help them deal with their stress. And the anecdotal evidence is absolutely beautiful. Um, we don't have the actual results from the large study yet. But this is another thing uh, where I'm taking myself to a different state of consciousness where I'm no longer asking the questions or considering the issues related to safety or threat. I'm somewhere right. else. Right. Beyond consciousness. Right. Beyond that consciousness. Beyond right. that consciousness of, 
of am I safe or am I not safe? Right. If I seem a little hesitant in the conversation today, is because you're I'm agreeing with so much of what you're saying. I don't know where to start. <laughs> I mean, I'm so excited about what you're saying. No, I'm serious. I just, I mean, there's so many yeah. every every word you're saying right now has all these implications to it. But I will say, just to bring it back to the doc project, is that well, a couple things. The polyvagal theory is one where you're under threat, your whole body goes into, into a defensive mode, including the immune system, which is an inflammatory response. What Stephen Porges has pointed out, which I didn't know prior to a few months ago, is that when you're, a lot of people don't engage in these tools because they're not ready. They don't tolerate being vulnerable. So what you're describing is a learned skill that you have to be ready for. And you pointed about the three stages and I'm guessing that you sort of go through that in stages. I mean, in other words, in, I'm, I'm asking you, I guess, is that one of the reasons that Dr. Portis is hesitant to use the vagal stimulator without training is that people would go through a meditative technique or they'll go through the vagal stimulator and they just decompensate. They're not ready to be vulnerable. So in scientific terms, you have about awe and gratitude. People say, well, that's not very scientific. That's not true you're dramatically changing the body's chemistry. And I think the ultimate answer to chronic pain is play, gratitude, giving back, and the spiritual journey. Because you're a long ways from pain pathways, but going back to the very beginning of a conversation, if you're angry, frustrated, and reactive, you've lost awareness. And so for a lot of this audience right now, getting to where you are or describing is a long ways from being anxious, angry, reactive, and trapped by pain. So that's why I'm fascinated by what you're doing because it sounds like that you are allowing for that and allowing people to feel what they feel. And by definition, if you're angry and anxious, you actually can't get to that state of awe at that moment. Is that a fair statement? That's right. And um... I'm making myself nervous now because I'm going to challenge something that Steve Porges said, which is a very risky thing to do. But um, you characterized his work saying, according to him, some people are not ready to be vulnerable. Right. And what I would say to you and Steve, assuming he said that, which I think he did, what I would say is saying that is, it may be true, but it's part of the problem because it's characterizing vulnerability as difficult. It's characterizing vulnerability as risky in some way. And this is how we talk when we're in what I call safety consciousness. But I've had people come to me and have severe anxiety attacks. And instead of going and meeting them in safety consciousness and trying to manage it, I go into hard consciousness. I appreciate this person. I love this person. I'm with this person. And I remind them that they have moments where they live in hard consciousness. And when they remember it, the anxiety drops out of the picture quickly, quickly. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, this is where, this is where language gets all of us in trouble because we do workshops and in three to five days, 80% of people go to pain free. How can that be? Yeah. Because when you just yeah. allow yourself to drop the anxiety and frustration, you can connect with that part of your brain that's good, expansive, whatever you want to call it. So you expand your conscious, consciousness to a spot 
that you haven't been to for a long time, but it's already there. You don't have to create it or invent it or work at it. So that's the hardest part about the doc process is a process of letting go and allowing things to change rather than fixing. Is that a fair statement? Yes, yes. Um, and even letting go, even letting go, I, I struggle just a little bit with that. I have this idea that there's two fundamental approaches to this work. One, it relies on force and the other relies on presence. And the idea of letting go to me suggests some, some force, some necessity to do something as opposed to being in a state of presence, which is what you describe beautifully in your work. It's how you talked about yourself when you said, people attack me, they attack the construct of David Hanscom. And I, um, I am not attached to that. It's like an empty house that I have no uh, connection to. So you're just simply being with what's happening in the moment. That to me is an example of being in presence. It's not quite the same as being present, but but you, but, you, but you will admit that anytime you're anxious or angry, you're yep. not present, right? You're reacting. I mean, if you're angry uh, or frustrated, you're you're reacting to something in the past. I'm sure you're reacting to something in the present that reminded you of something dangerous in the past. So you're you're really not anytime you're anxious or frustrated, at that very second, you're really not in the present. Is that a first statement? Uh, the only exception to that is that when a tiger's chasing us, we actually are very present, right? True. I, I would and agree so, with that. Yeah. And, and so for the most part, when I talk about the three degrees of consciousness, I say in heart consciousness, we, we can be very present. We can also be in the past or the future and be in heart consciousness. To access awe, spaciousness, that's a state of nothing but presence. Right. And, and I agree that I, I'm going to use the word tongue in cheek, learned skill. Yeah. And I will disagree, disagree with you on one point is that, you know, there's a sequence of anger where you have a circumstance, you blame your victim, then you're angry. And as a living creatures, we're programmed to not be vulnerable because it's dangerous. And so being a victim is extremely powerful. People never want to let it go, including myself. So it just takes a second. It's not hard. To me, it's the one point that there is, I don't want to use the word force. It's like flipping a switch. Okay, I'm a victim. How long do I want to remain in this victim role? You flip the switch, then you can access your, the consciousness. But if you're using, what happens, I think, that people access consciousness to compensate for the anger. And there's this endless battle that goes back and forth. And I personally have not seen a shortcut to say, okay, done. Uh, I, I may last for 10 minutes before I go back into the victim role. I get it. But to me, it's an ongoing decision. Victim, okay, bam, I'm going to now access my consciousness. But I'm using meditation consciousness and mindfulness to combat anger. I've not found that to be very effective. No, I call that spiritual bypassing. Right? Yeah. Where we, we, we don't want to experience the anger, the hostility, the anxiety. So we, we tell ourselves a pretty story. And, and that absolutely is not something I support because I think it's repressive in nature. Right. Right. Um, the, the, the distinction that you and I have here is you, you say there are times where there is a threat and therefore we are vulnerable. I just want to make the distinction that there's a difference between my body being vulnerable because a tiger's chasing me versus my identity being threatened 
And you see, I don't believe that my identity being threatened, I don't believe that creates real vulnerability. Not if I can do what you described before, where I just detach and I say, it's just an idea, it's just a label, this thing called David Hanscom, that's all it is that they're attacking. It doesn't truly threaten me. Well, there's several layers to this because I 100% agree with your, what's the word you use about the words becoming real? You, what's the word, we use the same words. The language does make a difference. You're programmed with repetition, no question about it. The problem with chronic pain, which is a big problem, is that is a physical sensation that is miserable. You are physically trapped. That's the catch-22 in chronic pain because you're physically trapped by pain. Dr. Sarno called it rage. It's understandable. Yes. I was in that role hole for 15 years. So you're angry, frustrated. You aren't thinking very clearly. We now know the blood supply to the frontal lobe goes offline, so you can't think clearly. Your brain physically shrinks in chronic pain. So it's a tough spot to be in. And especially when somebody says, well, this pain and anger is your responsibility, you're going, okay. So I think what... I agree with you completely. I agree with you completely. I really like the distinction you're making. I think physical pain... This is where physical pain and emotional suffering are different. Right. So and I'm glad you brought that up. Right. So I think what our, and that we talked about this offline, but I think what we do in the DOC project is we create some, some foundational tools, like putting that wedge into the, into the log to split the log. So I think that the DOC project creates some openings that allow this other process to occur. And then as that's why it sort of evolves yeah. where you start becoming aware, letting go, relaxing, learning some relaxation tools. Then some tipping point, and I'll, I'll say stage one of your process of safety versus threat, you become aware of that and start working towards it. But I do think the ultimate answer to chronic pain is what you described as stages two and three, but it does take some steps to get there. It does take steps to get there. The, the odd thing, and I know you've had this and I had this experience with, as a result, chronic pain for 15 years in my back and reading Sarno's book and the pain went away that night. Right. How, how, how's that even possible, right? You, you, it just, how's that possible? Right? Well, we watched that in our workshops. There's a major shift. We call it the Sarno effect. It happens yeah. about 20% of the time. The problem is, I mean, if it's sustained, great. But there's lots of other pains that come along also. And so what we espouse, I think yes. the same thing is that you're triggered, you're triggered, you're anxious, you're anxious, you're in pain, you're in pain. It doesn't totally matter why that occurred. And what you pointed out in the first conversation is that what do you want right in this very second? You talk about the past and things that entered you and all the pain you're suffering from. That's the story. But what do you want today, right now? I thought that was a brilliant point in the first lecture, first podcast. So you take wherever you're at right this second and then use whatever tools or strategies you have to re-enter this area that you talk about, this third level of consciousness. And, uh, but it, yeah, no, I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm really looking forward to try to put our processes together in a little bit of detail because I do think they're very synergistic. And uh, so, no, I, I think this is fantastic work that you're doing. Really enthralled by it. So, so well, if you- It's fun to talk to you about it. Yeah, go ahead. So um, any um, final comments to the audience, just to summarize, um, if you just review really quickly the three levels of the consciousness you discussed and 
how to access your work, that would be, that would be great. Great. Okay. So um, I'm suggesting that most of the time we live in what's called safety consciousness. And it's very important people understand I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. It's a vitally important thing. And we simply want to get good at it. The way we get good at it is by taking responsibility, acknowledging what's going on, being present, and doing what we have to do to manage ourselves. I think it's where the doc project fits in perfectly. Okay. In addition to that, there's heart consciousness, which is, when I say heart, it's not a romantic thing. It's about a state of appreciation or gratitude that directly affects our heart, opens us up, and allows us to have more meaningful pro-social connections, which is a very important part of reducing pain and reducing inflammation. Very right. critical. It affects our entire immune system. And by the way, for people listening, you have all experienced heart consciousness. Everybody listening has experienced it. It's not exclusive to any group of people. It's just we don't always stop and recognize it. So it's available to us all. And then, and then the third level of consciousness I refer to as spaciousness or spacious consciousness. And it's a state that we access where we experience a timelessness, a wordlessness, a vastness that helps us deal with sort of the background anxiety related to being a human being. And it's a very powerful state to access. We can do it in a few seconds when we learn how, and we right. can do it repeatedly throughout the day. And every time we do it, it's as if we're resetting our nervous system. And if you want to be involved in your group settings, uh, it's at liveconscious.com. Right, liveconscious.com. And as I say, we do some online courses right now. That's what we're doing because we can't conduct our, our retreats in person. Right. And uh, typically we do that as well. And are you teaching other healthcare professionals how to do this also? Is that part of your work? It is, yes. And that was part of the big, uh, the large study we did at uh, UC Berkeley Greater Good Science Center. Yeah, now this is fantastic work. I, I'm just so excited to you know, be able to talk to you about this. And I'm excited to have you part of this whole polyvagal group that we're working with because you know, it gives some structure to what we're talking about, gives some structure to this conversation. Yeah. And I think this group in general is just starting to learn what's possible. I think we're not even closer to what we're going to learn in five years from now. So anyway, thank you very much for being on the show. I'm excited to meet you. Thank and you talk for to putting you. all this together. Yeah, it's been great. I'd like to thank our guest, Jake Eagle, for being on the show today and explaining the concepts of safety consciousness, heart consciousness, and spacious consciousness, and how they relate to healing from chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.thedocjourney.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.